Life definitely has its fair share of ups and downs. We deal with the death of loved ones, different illnesses, mental health challenges, and every other struggle in between. But sometimes it's hard to be real and actually talk about this stuff. My name is Alexis Bean, but you can call me Lex. And this is Big Girl Panties Podcast. Here, I chat with both professional experts and other women like me who have their own story about living through grief, trauma, and other tough times, and how they have found a way to put on their big girl panties and thrive. Welcome to another episode of Big Girl Panties Podcast. You guys have absolutely no idea how excited I am to dive into today's conversation. Today, I am chatting with a lovely lady that I connected with through social media and asked if she would be part of my first BGP Christmas video back in 2018. I've never met this woman in person, but I feel like she's a long-lost friend. She participated in the BGP Christmas video, opening up about what it was like being a widow after experiencing the loss of her husband, Rashid. Fast forward to today, my guest is happier than ever and continues to support a community of widows through her organization, Still His. She's had some pretty incredible monumental events take place in her life recently, and I can't wait for you to hear all about them. This conversation was so rich. You'll hear it in my voice how excited I was to have this conversation, and I hope that you'll find some well-deserved peace and comfort as you listen to this exchange today. Please join me in welcoming our next podcast guest for a special Valentine's Day edition of Big Girl Panties Podcast, Mrs. Kimberly Holmes Iverson. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. I am ecstatic to be here. Thank you, Alexis. I'm so excited to have you too. So grateful that you're speaking with me again and you're willing to do a project for BGP. I was just sharing that you were actually a part of my first BGP Christmas video. Yes, I still remember that one. Hey, anyone who talks about grief and is about helping anyone who is grieving, you're my kind of people. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I just, I feel like, I feel like we, we have met, right? Like I know. in reality, we have never met in person. No, I, feel no. like, I feel so connected to you, <laughs> but I wanted to bring you on the show today to just talk a little bit about your story with regards to grief and your life now, because I think that your story is so, you know, it's heartbreaking, but it's beautiful. And it's inspiring to so many, and it would be inspiring to the listeners. So I just want to go into the first question. What was it like losing your late husband? He is your connection to grief that I know of. So what was it like losing uh, your first husband? (sighs) That was a moment that broke me and broke me open. It literally was something that was unexpected. We were at this point where it seems, you know, we were about to really just jump into our lives. It was April 16, 2016. We were living in Orlando, Florida. And at that point, we had been married a few years, but I actually met Rashid when we were in college. So we were friends for a while, kind of knew of each other, started dating, dated long distance for seven years, not in the same city for seven years. Mm-hmm. And then even the first few months we were married, we were still in different cities. He was in Chicago and I was in Cincinnati. And then we finally got in the same city. He moved to Cincinnati. And then we ended up moving to Orlando when I got a job and then he got one there too. And 
by 2016, I had decided I'm a TV reporter and anchor and I was just burned out. And so I walked away from my job and I didn't know if I was ever going to go back to the TV business. I just really needed some air. And I had about a year and a half out of the business and we were kind of, you know, I, I was living fancy free and living our best lives. And we were deciding to start a family and things were going well. And all of a sudden that night, we had just been, you know, at home relaxing. He was working on some stuff on the couch, decided he wanted to get some snacks, mm-hmm. went to the store across the street from our complex mm-hmm. and just walked there because literally it was across the street yeah. and he never returned home. He was hit by three cars. Mm-hmm. The first two left the scene and we have not been able to catch those drivers to this day. So it is still an open hit and run homicide investigation. And the third driver did stop. And that moment, if you would have told me that's how Rashid's living part of my story ended, I wouldn't believe you. Yeah. Who, who dies in a hit and run? Mm-hmm. We were literally just living our lives, you know, paying taxes, trying to be good people. And he died in a horrific manner. I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. It was horrible. I still remember calling his mom when I was in the backseat of a police cruiser, when they were trying to explain to me what had happened. I remember calling his sister, calling my parents and hearing my mom's wailing in the background. And I remember those moments. My body remembers those moments, even though I feel like it was an out-of-body experience. When you lose someone you deeply love, you lose this giant part of you Mm -hmm. and you lose parts of you you would expect, but you lose a lot of you you don't expect. I just felt so lost. I felt so confused. You have to remember at this point, I already left seemingly left my career. I didn't even know really what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I'd worked so hard to get to that point. I wasn't working. I didn't know what was next. I couldn't think what was next. I didn't want anything to be next. And I honestly am just incredibly grateful for my parents, my friends, and my family who thought for me in those moments when I couldn't think, when I didn't want to think, when I didn't want to live. And at that moment, since I wasn't working and Rashida had been killed right outside of our home, mm-hmm. my parents decided I needed to move back home. So literally my friends packed up my apartment. And when we held the funeral in Georgia, as my dad drove us all there, they literally drove all of our stuff, but my car on the tram up to Virginia and I left for good. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend watched my dog and everybody just took over. And when I got to my parents' home, I remember sitting there and just, just feeling lost. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. I started to think about this and that and starting a business and not knowing how to do any of that. And luckily I had the opportunity to have this time to be lost. And I traveled a little bit and I did dabble in starting these different endeavors But about nine months later, my boss at my first TV station I worked at, it's a small market, a small station on the eastern shore of Maryland, 
they had invited me up to do an interview on the work I was doing. I was talking about grief and widowhood, starting this organization, as well as I was working on his hit and run legislation. And as I left that place, that interview, my boss offered me a job and he's like, we need a morning anchor kiddo. Why don't you come back? What are you doing? And I knew at some point I had to put one foot in front of the other. And I went home and it was right before Christmas. And I remember thinking about it and feeling this voice from God that said, you need to go someplace quiet and let me work on you. Sit and be still. And that's the only thing that's really helped me put one foot in front of the other. Grief changes the living. When you lose someone you love so greatly, it changes the living in ways you can't imagine, but you just got to give yourself time. Mm -hmm. Those words are so true. So, so true. My next questions are, I want to go in two different directions, but I think the way that you, you shared, you know, that story about losing Rashid, like you kind of answered them in itself. But my first question was, what was life like after he passed? I guess after you've moved back to now take on this new job um, working at the smaller station, how was life for you then? And then also, if you could expand a little bit about the organization that you shared that you started, the organization still his. Can you tell me a little bit more about that as well? Of course. So when I moved here to the smaller, quieter, softer place, I literally couldn't really see what was next, but I felt strongly in that voice I had heard that said, just go and be still and let me work on you. And so I put one foot in front of the other and I really wanted a home. That was the next big thing on the list for me and Rashid. And so the first thing I did when I got here was I bought my first house. And the thing that spoke to me so much was when I walked in this house, it had yellow walls and it was kind of an inside joke between me and Rashid, but it made me smile and laugh. And it also was so cheery and happy. And so when I walked in, it felt like this is right. And it's beautiful and light. And it brought sunshine to my heart when all I wanted to do was cry. And so often I would go to work and be this cheery morning anchor who everybody, you know, would turn on the TV and see. And I would bawl my way home and I would bawl and scream when I got to the house. And it was luckily I had my dog Lola with me and just had really quiet days. But the summer right after Rashid was killed, I actually took this amazing trip to India and it was with a girlfriend from grad school. And we just loaded up a bunch of cameras and went to India. And we had read about this city called the city of widows. Mm-hmm. That's where hundreds, if not thousands of widows congregate in um, the Vrindavan in India. So we went there and one of the widows there had given me this advice. She had said, busy your brain. And so one of the things I really took to heart when I got here was I had this shift and, you know, obviously the hours were awful. You go to work in the middle of the night and then, you know, you have the newscast first part of the morning. And then I was done for the day. And I was in this town where I didn't really know anyone. And I really wasn't in a place mentally or spiritually to meet new people. So I'd come home and I would take on all these projects. And one of them was furthering this organization I started called Still His. I started it, launched it with a Wister, a widow sister of mine, Ronnie Hollis. Mm -hmm. And we decided that... I had read her blog and her words had helped me and she had encouraged me on social media and we both felt this peace in sharing our stories and being there and just knowing there was somebody else out there who understood what you were going through. 
Mm-hmm. And so we just wanted to put that out there. And so we decided through this process and through all the heartache, the one thing we knew was true was that whatever we were going through, however terribly we felt, we were still his, I mean, still God's yeah. and still his, our husband's. Yes. And so that's how we came up with the name still his. And I know some people had felt that it was limiting, but it really, it was about where we were in the journey, but it really is about anyone who has lost a partner or a spouse, a loved one, and is trying to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other. And so we started by making this grief apparel, widow apparel, and grief gifts we call love boxes. Mm -hmm. And we would solicit names whom we could send the grief gifts to, as well as they became really popular. So we started to have an option where people could pay for them. And we would find little trinkets. And of course, the shirts and the sweatshirts and things we were making and coffee mugs and journals and adult coloring books and all of these things. And we would send them to people. And whether it was an anniversary or an angelversary, the anniversary of a loved one's death, or on Tuesday, just to say, I'm thinking of you. It was one of those little moments we realize that you really miss your spouse or your partner. And it's the times when they brought you a candy bar home or they called to ask how you're doing. And even when you're blessed, like I am, to have wonderful friends and family who constantly check on me, they can't do it every single second of the day. And in those small moments, you really start to feel the absence of that person. And so these grief gift boxes were sent to literally send a little love to the people out there. And so I was doing a lot was still his. We also decided for both of us, she's in Missouri, me here on the Eastern Shore in Maryland, Virginia, and Delaware, to have these brunches and these outings and kind of gather the widowed wherever we were. Yeah. And again, it's like grief and and widowhood is this very isolating experience mm-hmm. and losing the person who has this huge part of your heart and your life. You feel so alone. And most people, they say these things and they, they really do hope to give you some, some peace and some love. And a lot of times it just makes you feel worse. And so to know there's someone out there who understands those dark thoughts you have and who understands when you just feel frustrated for simple reasons or someone who understands when someone has said something and they mean the best, but you want to punch them in the nose because it doesn't make you feel better. It, it was great. And so I really threw myself into that as well as a bunch of volunteering and different things here. And so I have some really sad, isolating, lonely moments at home, even though my home made me happy, but I decided to just really busy my brain by trying to help others through this grieving process. That's beautiful. That's so impactful, I'm sure. The way that you describe what it is that you and your partner who you started this with, this initiative, it sounds like you've been able to help so many other women. So that's a beautiful experience while also helping yourselves. Yes. Um, It truly does sound like, you know, this initiative was a way to help you heal. Oh, definitely. Yes. How else would you say that you you were able to find healing throughout that? I think honestly, healing is a lifelong journey, mm. just as grief is a lifelong thing that we will live with. I think a lot of times people think, when will you be done? Mm-hmm. When will you be done grieving this person? Well, it's like, well, if I greatly love this person, I don't just flip a switch and I'm like, okay, I'm cool. Let's go on with life now. Like, I think it happens over time where you get to this place where you can think and you can feel, oh, I'm actually 
breathing mm. or I just laughed at a joke and I meant it yeah. or I'm smiling and I'm actually happy in that moment. It might be just for 30 seconds, yeah. but I am. And you start to realize maybe I can live. And then over time, it's, I actually want to live again. I had a long time where I didn't want to live. And I think a lot of people go through that and you have this intense pain. And I think that the thing for me that I've heard from so many people and what I also prayed through and what was, you know, on my heart and in my spirit was you've got to feel the disgusting, horrible pain. That's mm-hmm. the only way to get to the other side of it. Because when you ignore it and you, you try to pour yourself into something else to distract your brain, mm-hmm. it's going to come back and get you at some point. Yeah. Because you never get over this. The grief isn't something you get over. You get through it. Mm-hmm. You get to a place when you can learn how to live with it. I still have triggers. I still have moments when I think about Rashid, you know, just about daily. But I've gotten to a place where mostly thinking about it makes me smile or laugh, or it's just this beautiful memory, or I think, how would he have done it right now? Or what would he be doing now? Or something like that. But I'm still able to move forward. Healing, it was a process that took therapy, took prayers, both mine and countless others from people I know, as well as I know people who I don't know who prayed Mm -hmm. for me. It took walks outside. It took boxing lessons to get anger out. It took journaling. It took trips, like I said, to India and other places. It took friends checking on me and remembering my anniversary and Rashid's birthday and sending cards and letters or inviting me to spend the day with them or giving me space to spend it alone, but letting me know they were there for me. Mm -hmm. It took a mixture of a lot of things to help me through all of these different phases and to get to these different places where I was a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and my heart was a little bit stronger and I started to allow myself to smile a little bit more. Mm. Oh, I love to hear that. I love to hear that because it's so honest and it's so, it's so real because yeah, there is no one quick fix. There is no just a switch that says, okay, I'm, I'm better now. But yeah, at different moments of your healing, at different stages of your healing, you do need different things. So I love that you're able to share that you did incorporate um, or you did welcome therapy. You did welcome prayers from loved ones, prayers from strangers, simple things like taking a walk. So any listeners who have gone through something like this or know someone who's you know, struggling with something, Um, or a loss of some kind, they can do the same kinds of things. There's no one quick fix. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, taking a walk outside was actually something that's been really helpful. And it was probably the second holiday season, winter without Rashid, that a whister reminded me of this. And I was falling into a funk. I think it was actually after Christmas or right before it. I knew the holidays are always a trigger no matter what. But I was fine, quote unquote. (laughs) And then I just felt myself falling. And I was like, I can't pull myself out of this. And I just feel sad and depressed. And I'm just blah. And I don't know what to do. And I remember her telling me, you need to get outside. And I said, that's fine for you. You're in Florida. I'm in Maryland. It's cold. It just snowed. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to be inside, let alone outside where it's cold. I'm from Texas. I like warmth. And she's like, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be up there long, but you need to get outside, look at the sun, feel the breeze, listen to the birds. It will help. And that has been 
a really big part of my healing. I, I'll call it maybe like the second, third leg of my healing mm-hmm. where I remind myself, even now, sometimes I'll just get in a funk and I'll be like, yeah, this feel meh. Yeah. And I just say, Kim, how long, you know, when's the last time you really went outside? You need to take a walk. Yeah. And sometimes I'll take a walk and I'll just cry softly to myself because sometimes you just have to release Sometimes you don't even know that you had to release that. You just have to get it out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I just jam to music. But every time I felt like I'm in a funk and I know I haven't been outside, just taking a walk has helped. So I do offer that advice to to anyone listening out there. Awesome. Thank you. So this is going to be released for Valentine's Day. And a lot of people are going to have love on the brain. And whether that's a good thing for some people, you know, saying, oh, I'm in a relationship, blah, blah, blah. Or it's a, if it's a sensitive time for someone who's lost someone, we are mindful of that um, with the release of this episode. So I ask you, knowing where you are now, but when did you start to date again? Did, was it strange when you got <gasps> out there, I guess? In- oh, goodness. Dating. Huh. Dating as a widow, as a young widow. One thing people would say to me, honestly, they said at the funeral, starting at the funeral, Rashid's funeral, and I've said it since then, and they thought it was comforting. They swore it was comforting, mm-hmm. was you're young and you're attractive. You'll marry again. And I wanted to literally punch them in the gut because yeah. I was like, you're not going to tell me what to do. Rashid right. loved me in an incredible way. I don't want no other man. Yeah. I'm not going to settle for some nonsense. I'm just going to have to live this lonely, sad life as this cute young widow but you're not going to put some random guy on me. And literally it infuriated me. It really made me angry. I swore I would never love again. I swore anyone who said it to me, either I would get in a fight with them because I've also learned you can't fight with idiots or I just have to be like, you don't understand. Mm -mm, This is over. I'm done. I'm out. Peace. And it would just make me so angry. And I think there are two, especially when it comes to widowhood, There are some who look forward to love again, which is beautiful. And then there are some who decide, you know, that love they had, that relationship they had is enough in that way. And they're moving forward by themselves. And that is beautiful as well. And for me, it has been its own journey. (laughs) People would tell me that for years and probably somewhere in year three after losing Rashid, I started to have these thoughts. And I think, again, it goes back to the healing process. And one of my prayers really was God work on me. And if there's something I'm not doing right, or I'm not listening to, or something I'm going to miss, like, let me know, Mm -hmm. help me. And I started to hear people differently. My friends knew that they really had the conversation with me. (laughs) My girls knew this, but I started to hear what people were saying and see things around me and feel differently. And it was somewhere, I think it was about three and a half years out. And I started to think, I don't believe you, God, but I'm starting to think that maybe, perhaps I could, I don't know, go out to dinner with somebody because you start to get really lonely. You do. And I think humans are made to be with somebody else, whether that's a really good friend or whatever it is. And so I just started to think, okay, maybe I can just hang out with somebody. And if you think that I'm going to go and date somebody that maybe I'll be open to it, but I don't see how you're going to make this possible because I'm not going to put Rashid in a closet. I'm not going to not talk about him. I'm going to have pictures up. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And I don't think there's some man out there who's strong enough to understand that. 
Mm-hmm. And so I just kept saying that, but then finally I was like, okay, if you can make this happen, I'm open. Yeah. And over that process, when I was going through that, I also started to hear something in my spirit that if you want me to do something new in your life, you need to give me room. Mm. And I started to realize that while I was wrestling with this idea of dating and love again, I also wasn't truly open to it, which I was fine with because I also you know, really didn't want it. Right. But as I started to think about it and be open to it, I realized I wasn't giving myself space for this new thing to grow in. And one of my really good girlfriends, she told me fairly recently that when they visited my house, they loved my house and it was warm. It was great. But it almost felt like a mausoleum or a memorial to Rashid. This had so many pictures and his items up all over my house. And it felt like a giant hug from him at the time, which is what I needed to help me heal. Put one foot in front of the other. But when I got to this point in my healing, I did start to see that maybe it was suffocating the possibility of something new. Mm. And so that was a really hard moment for me. And I wrestled with it for a while. But after prayer and thinking and meditation, I realized I had to make space. And that meant taking down some of the stuff I had up. And again, it was a process and it took time, but I took down a lot of what I had up. And that meant either putting up stuff that was me in this new life and what I was building and how I was growing as a person, or honestly leaving things blank and giving it literal space to be filled with something I had no idea what was out there. Yeah. And so through this process and through all of that happening, it was sort of around this time to the end of it. It was September of 2019. And I had a charity golf tournament in Rashid's name mm-hmm. in New Jersey. And my girlfriends, they'd always volunteered to come with me to big events. And it was the week before my birthday. And I was like, I'm cool. You don't need to come. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And literally a week out, I was like, I'm not cool. I need somebody to come with me. Yeah. And I... Thought it was too late to ask a girlfriend. It was in the middle of the week in New Jersey. No one could really come. And Rashid's mom and sister couldn't come at the time. And so I ended up asking a really good friend from Florida to come up with me. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being one of the greatest decisions ever. I hate asking people for anything. And he graciously said yes and came up. And literally that weekend, Rashid's mom and sister said they could come. So all four of us spent the day together. Mm -hmm. And when I drove up for that trip, I also brought this, I had this really large picture of Rashid that had been used at the funeral and memorials and different events I had thrown over the years. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things where I knew I took that down and, and taking it down that I wanted to just live in the closet or do I want it to live with somebody who obviously would love it as much as I do. And so I brought it with me to the tournament and I gave to Rashid's mom. And it was a really hard moment for me. Yeah. But it was also really beautiful because she was like, it's time. It's Mm -hmm. time for you to move forward. Mm -hmm. And if you have more stuff and you want to give, I am here, give it to me. And she also had the conversation with me about dating. Mm -hmm. And probably about a year prior to that, I talked to my sister-in-law and she had told me, you're young and you do need to think about opening your heart again. Mm-hmm. And so as hard as those conversations were, 
they also, not that I needed permission, but they also made me think, and it seemed like confirmation that, okay, God, if you can find this miraculous man who can still understand how I feel and know that I do feel part of my work here on this earth is to continue to talk about grief and encourage those who are grieving. So that obviously means we're going to talk about Rashid in that process and to know that he's not going to ever go away who can love that part of me as well as understand I do have more to give than I'm here for it. And literally that's when he brought Darian into my life and Darian was the guy I invited to the golf tournament. Mm. And literally weeks after that golf tournament, we went from friends to pretty serious relationship and surprised no one more than both of us. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Well, you say it was a surprise. So, you know, you were never really interested before that or? No, it was one of those things where he's an adorable man, very attractive, but I never saw him like that. And actually he lived in the complex I lived in, in Orlando when we first moved there and he had worked out with Rashid. Mm -hmm. And he loves to tell this part of the story. I normally leave it out, but (laughs) Rashid loved to like, they had this burgeoning friendship and Rashid wanted to hang out with him more or for like him and, you know, Darian and his girlfriend at the time to come out with us. And I just felt these player vibes from him. And I was like, I'm not really feeling him. No, I'm not going out with him. Uh -uh. I don't want to be in the same room. And so we honestly never really hung out together, but Rashid and him just had this friendship. And so they had tried over the years we were there. And when Rashid was killed, Darian took it really hard. And he said he felt in his spirit, like he just wanted to check on me. And when you become a widow, (laughs) you do have many people, if you're lucky, who want to check on you. It becomes weird when they're people of the opposite sex, because you just don't know who's trying to prey on you. Right advantage of the situation or someone who's sincerely trying to check on you. And it was something with Darian, even though I honestly really didn't know him because I never gave him the chance that felt so sincere. Mm -hmm. And he literally would just send a quick text or he is a very thoughtful man. So he would send cards on Rashid's birthday or my anniversary with Rashid or like flowers on my birthday. Mm -hmm. And he would even say, you know, once a year, you know, we would have a phone call and he's like, look, I just want to check. I see you on Instagram and you've got the big smile, but how are you really feeling? Mm -hmm. And we just have these long conversations and some like hard, difficult feelings, but he really listened and I really appreciated it. And so we really formed this friendship. And over those three and a half, four years, my friends would say, do you see anything? Like, why don't you try something? And I was like, no, that's (laughs) weird. Like he's, a friend and people would say the same thing to him and he was like no that's odd no and so literally we never looked at each other as anything more and we really formed this true friendship and so when I invited him to the golf tournament it purely was his friends he came up purely as a friend we literally spent the day with Rashid's mom and sister Mm -hmm. we had a blast and laughed and all that stuff and so a week later we were both kind of like what just happened should we? I don't know. Maybe that feels weird. And it was going back and forth. And then we started talking on the phone and we literally would talk for hours. We're like teenagers. Mm-hmm. We're fully grown adults here with jobs. <laughs> like every chance we got, we were talking on the phone. And, you know, I have a terrible work schedule, but I'd wake up in the middle of my night and we talk for hours and 
you know, I wouldn't get any sleep. I'm an adult. I need sleep. <laughs> and so, you know, finally his mom is like, who are you giggling with? Like, Hours in the middle of the night. <laughs> and it just happens before we even knew what was happening. But it was one of those things where he had done the work and worked on himself from all the stuff he had gone through in life. And obviously I had done my work. And when it was time, really think God allowed it to happen. Wow. That's the way he works, right? That's the beautiful way that it happens. It's like, we don't fully understand how these things happen, but God's just like, let me do what I do. Let me make a way. So that, that sounds so beautiful. Thank you. With that, when did you know it was love? When did it oh. safe in that relationship to, to love again? It honestly, it's happened so fast. Our whole entire relationship has been just fast forward. And it really was probably a few weeks after the golf tournament. Mm-hmm. I think we ended up having a conversation shortly after the golf tournament, but what is this? Let's try this. <laughs> and then shortly after that, we both knew we were falling in love. Mm-hmm. And so literally it was so quick and so confusing to both of us, but it also felt so right. And in the midst of all of this, what is happening and the weird thing about grief and you feel this guilt and he even has his own issues that he like dealt with, but through it all, literally everything started to fall into place. Mm -hmm. And a few months later, he decided to move up here. And then of course the pandemic and everything happened. So we both got stuck at home. And so, you know, this new business and we're trying to figure out everything. And then months later, we're both like, we're not getting any younger. And we have these really strong feelings. And we both are pretty sure we want to make this happen. And so we got married. So we literally got married, not even a year after dating. It was in mm-hmm. June, on Juneteenth, this mm-hmm. last June. And then about three months after that, found out we were pregnant and expecting. Mm. So it literally has been boom, boom, boom. Mm. But I do feel when you wait for what God has for you, Mm. God opens the doors. Because honestly, you know, I never fully had the chance to try to have a child. Mm. And then I had my own plan and I I was going to still make stuff happen and do X, Y, and Z. But then literally Darian popped up in my life and you know, we both had been praying and working on ourselves and, mm-hmm. and going through, you know, what we thought God wanted us to go through. And so just everything felt right, fell into place. Mm-hmm. But we anticipated needing to go to the fertility doctor and needing, you know, to work on things. We we're both 40. Mm-hmm. And literally on my 40th birthday, days before, it found out we were pregnant. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> oh, my God. So it, it happened really, really fast. But I, again, I do believe when you do the work and you walk through the process and you allow God to work on you and work through you, that amazing things can happen. Amen. I fully believe that. Wow. That is so encouraging, Kim. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so happy for you. Do you have any words of encouragement for any women out there who are still grieving the loss of their husband or their partner or or anyone close to them? I would say, don't let anyone rush you through the process. Mm-hmm. I think there are so many people who mean well, but don't fully understand what it's like to grieve someone who is a piece of your heart and your life. And again, so many people just want you to flip the switch and 
be quote unquote you again. Hurry up and be you so we can go out to this party. Hurry up and be you so we, you know, we can get back to work. Hurry up and be you so you can be happy and smile again. Mm. And when you do that for others, you rush your process and you shortchange yourself. Mm. And grief and the sadness and the anger and all of those other nasty things will rear their heads at you and they will get a hold of you and tear you down. And it's uncomfortable and no one wants to feel it, but you've got to feel all the feels. And so to get through to the other side, because there is an other side, as much as we don't want to hear it, as much as we don't want to live without that person, there is another side. And it's another side where you still have those aches and pains and you still miss that person dearly and would do anything to have them in your life. But you learn how to build a new you. Mm -hmm. You learn how to smile again. You learn how to allow yourself to be happy and feel the sun and to still honor that person while still honoring yourself. Because if you are alive, God wants you to be alive for a reason. So Mm -hmm. don't feel bad for that because there is survivor's guilt. I definitely went through that. And you still have moments every once in a while, but you are alive for a reason. You're going to feel bad. A lot of days, feel those days. Just don't live in that moment. Mm -hmm. Don't rush your process and know that there is another side, the other side of grief, that you still miss that person. You can still honor that person, still say that person's name, Mm -hmm. still celebrate their birthday and your anniversary and all the things that make you happy. There's a shirt you want to wear, wear it. Do anything, anything, anything you want to do. It helps you honor that person. It helps you put one foot in front of the other. But remember that there is the other side, put one foot in front of the other to get to that other side and you will get there someday. Mm. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. So I hope anyone that's listening that is grieving or can share that with a loved one who is grieving or a friend who's grieving. I hope that those words are helpful. So thank you. Thank you, Kim. So where can people get in touch with you today with your work uh, still his? Are you still working with that organization? What are you doing today? Where can people get in contact with you, Kim? I am still working with Still His. With the pandemic and work and pregnancy and everything, I have slowed down a little bit, I will say. But the easiest thing is to go to my website, which is Kim Keeps Going. I'm also on IG and Facebook at the same username, Kim Keeps Going. And our Still His page, Facebook and Instagram uh, still his, still hers. And so, or if you go to Kim Keeps Going, you can see links to all of those pages. We try to always put out words of encouragement and it's so easy to find the grief community because even though you feel alone, you are not alone. So just reach out and we are there. Great. Thank you. So I will also leave links for your website and your social media pages um, in the show notes of this episode so people can get in contact with you and uh, follow you along with all the amazing things that you do. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for having me. So lastly, what does putting on your big girl panties mean to you? That's the question that I want to ask to finish. Putting on your big girl panties. (laughs) It means doing the work. I mean, a lot of people think being happy and smiling comes easily and that, you know, perhaps smile just because that's just my makeup. And a part of it is I come from optimistic people, but a big part of it is I have seen my parents do it. And I know from firsthand knowledge that you just got to do the work. You got to feel the bad days. You got to go to therapy. 
You got to say no to things that you wish you could do, but you just don't have the energy for. And you got to say no to people who probably aren't good for you, even though they might look good to you. Mm -hmm. And you got to do the work. It's not always fun. It's usually not glamorous, but it leads to a better ending. Mm -hmm. So putting on your big girl panties means doing the hard stuff, which some people may not understand, but requires you to put one foot in front of the other. And sometimes that means you will take a few steps back. Sometimes you will have a really awful day. Sometimes you will need to call out because you need a mental health day because you just need to cry in bed. Mm -hmm. But the next day, I want you to get up, to go outside, to take a walk and to figure out how to at least find one reason to smile, even if it's something really stupid or it's like cookie dough ice cream and some wine, something, put one foot in front of the other. And that's what putting on your big girl panties means to me. Awesome. I love that. Thank you, Cam. Thank you so much. This conversation has been so, so encouraging, so rich. And um, you can truly hear in your words, like how far you've come and how how full your life is today. I hear just the fullness, I guess, like the peace, I guess, of God in your mm-hmm. voice. Just the happiness, the blessings, everything, you know, I just hear it all in your words. So I'm just so grateful for you for having this conversation with me today and just so happy for you, the blessings that God has given you and, you know, just the healing that he's given you and just how full your life is these days. So I'm just so thankful for your life. I, you know, I'm just, I'm going to like love on you some more and more. (laughs) I just, I love any time that, that you share something online and I, you know, see something encouraging. So I just want to thank you again for coming on today to share with me and my audience for Big Girl Panties. So thank you. That's too sweet of you. Thank you, Alexis. And all the best with baby. Wishing you a quick and healthy and happy delivery. And yeah, all the best going forward with you and Darian and your life to come. So thank you again. Thank you. Thanks everyone for tuning in to today's episode of Big Girl Panties Podcast. What a story, right? I am so, so grateful to Kim for opening up and sharing a bit of her testimony with us. I hope that you all enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. I've left Kim's social media handles in the show notes of this episode if you'd like to connect with her. As always, you can connect with Big Girl Panties between episodes on Instagram at BGP Life, on Facebook at BGP Life Blog, and through our website at www.bgplife.com. It's been a while since I've asked, but please leave a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show. This will help us to continue to gain more traction and grow our audience. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please share this episode with your friends, your social circles, anyone who you think would enjoy. I'll talk to you guys again soon. I love you and I'll see you next time.